If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. It's no secret Yeti has some of the best and most durable gear out there. But when it came to hydration, they previously didn't have a great backcountry solution. Well, that all changed with their new Yonder water bottle. My Yonder covered the backcountry all across the West last season while chasing mule deer, elk, caribou, and more. It's about 50% lighter than their insulated Rambler, but still has that Yeti toughness. The best part is they've now got them in four different sizes, so you can pack the bottle perfectly fit for your hunt. To top it off, there's also great options for customization. You can check them out now at yeti.com. Welcome back to Live Wild Podcast, everyone. It's already the first week of 2024, and I'm really excited personally for this upcoming season, this upcoming year. You know, in fact, I already found success this year on a late season mule deer tag. I was fortunate enough to shoot a deer New Year's Day. I'll say New Year, New Deer. Started the year off with a bang, pun intended. Starting the year off successful. I mean, it just feels good. It feels promising, especially after coming out of what I considered one of my harder seasons in 2023. I'm really looking forward to the promise of this upcoming season. I'm starting to think, I'm starting to plan. I've got a lot of things in my mind and hunts that I want to do. And now I got to just start breaking it down and going, okay, I got to get tags. I got to go into this season with the mindset of the application season. I got to start burning some points places and saving some points, some other places and really start building out my hunt plan. You know, as we look at the coming year, I kind of think the new year is just that time where a lot of people, they make resolutions, they change old habits, they create new ones. And with that in mind, this week, we're going to look at the habits of highly effective hunters. We're going to look at the six things that people I know that seem to continually get it done. The guys that I think are at the top of their game when it comes to hunting, the ones that always find success, always are very consistent in that success. What do they do that maybe other people don't. What sets them apart from everyone else? They have some things in common. And we're going to look at those things that they have in common. And that's where we can start building out for next year and the things that we can focus on. But before we do that, I want to share the story of the New Year's Day buck. So this week, beginning of the year, New Year's Day, it felt like a fresh start. Yeah, I was on a hunt with my wife. Danielle. And it was 
actually the tail end of a late season tag that I had. Now, I would love to say like first day out, it was, it was New Year's Day, was successful. I, I'm kind of like restarting the season January 1 because to be honest, it was 14 days of hunting uh, this tag over the course of the late season. I had split it up into in, a couple trips, but I was unsuccessful on the first trip. It, it was a tag in a, in a migration area. And I felt like I had a good opportunity to be successful on, on a mature big buck. And unfortunately, I just did not find the type of deer that I was looking for. And, and there was a lot of factors in that. I, I was thinking weather originally, you know, just didn't get the snow and the weather to push the deer in. And, and those big deer just never showed up. And so it came down to the wire. I, I'd gone back and kind of used up my time for the hunt and then I was talking with my wife and we kind of thought, well, it'd be fun to go for the last few days of the season. So the last five days just after Christmas and and then potentially stay through New Year's Day. And so we decided to do that. So it, it was nice. We we got somebody to watch the kids. It was kind of a little vacation for my wife and I. It's, you know, we get we do a lot together as a family, but it, it's kind of nice as well to be able to go out and and do something just the two of us. It'd been a while since it was just the two of us hunting together for an extended period of time. You know, we got out a few days this year for her elk tag and my parents watched the kids and we got to go out and, and do a hunt together. But to have a, an extended period of time that uh, we were really looking forward to it as something that we're really excited about. And so we went out hoping a little bit later in the season, maybe some different deer had moved in and maybe we would find that buck that we were looking for. And so we hunted, you know, we hiked, we glassed, we did all the things. We turned up hundreds of deer, like a lot of deer, a lot of does, a lot of young, immature bucks. So kind of the same thing that we I'd seen earlier in the season, you know, not, not that it was good or bad. It's just like, I don't, I don't really know if maybe the winter and there was a die off of a certain age class, you know, or maybe they just changed their pattern and moved somewhere else. And next year will be completely different. I don't think they all died off, but I just never, we never saw that upper end buck. So now we're, you know, New Year's Eve, we're like, all right, tomorrow's the last day. And I was like, all right, we, we got to hunt the deer that are here. We haven't even really seen that many four points. I'd saw one deer that was kind of cool. It was just like a, I get you call it cactus buck, just like velvet deer, three point on one side, weird hand on the other, but just was not, it was not a pretty deer. It's just, and dealing with velvet's not that fun. And, and I passed that deer up and then I found another good buck. The best deer I, I saw, the only big, what I would cons consider a big buck is the best buck I'd seen. Unfortunately, it busted off at his main beam. So it was half of a big deer. It's like, a big buck, but missing half of its antlers. So pass that deer up. So it's now New Year's Eve and I'm like, all right, we're going to go out tomorrow. It's like, we're just going to reset the season. Day one, New Year's Day. This is the beginning of a new year. We are just going to go out with that mindset of like, I just feel like we're going to be successful today. We put in some time. We were having a great hunt but we just didn't find a deer that I wanted to take. And so January 1st, it just, it just all reset. We're like, all right, we're resetting this. We're going to start this year off successful. 
And we went out and first thing in the morning, we went to a new spot and I spotted, I we didn't see actually any deer first thing in the morning, but the sun hadn't come up yet and glassing a long ways away. It was super cold out. But as the sun started to come up, there was some hills in the way and you'd get these heat waves. I was glassing and I saw this pocket of does like four or five miles off, probably four miles off, or pocket of deer. I couldn't tell what they were because of the heat waves up the hill in front was just too much. So we decided we're like, we're going to make our way that direction and see what's in there. Because I said, there's a deer in there that's definitely a buck. I mean, he's acting, doing buck stuff, like throwing his head back and just had that buck walk. Let's go see that that deer. So we we head over there and as we're getting in, there's like these two ridges that come down and I saw the deer go over the backside of the one ridge we're getting to and we're probably six or 700 yards, maybe half a mile from that ridge where they went over and I look over to the left and there's a pocket of does and a buck and there's a small four point buck in there. Like, I don't think that was the deer that I had seen because they were on the other side. And I mean, they could have come this way for sure. It would have been easy for them to move this way, but I really feel like the other deer still there. So we waited, we, we kind of froze for a while. I actually filmed the buck and he moved and it's like, he was actually kind of acting ruddy. He was pushing the does and doing his thing. So he decided we're going to go around the corner and just see if that other buck's there. But this is a four point. We hadn't even really seen that many four point deer and it'd be like small four points, but nothing with forks and ears wide. Just like a, I wasn't being that picky, to be honest. I wasn't looking for the biggest deer in the world. I just wanted like a nice representative mule deer. And so we, we go around the corner and I look up and a, a doe where the, I'd seen the other deer from a long ways off, a doe popped over the hill and, and went across the valley. I think that that's, that has to be those deer. So she's either joining deer that already left or they're still on the other side. So we start working up the valley and I look off to the left and I see a buck with a group of does. I throw up my binoculars. I'm like, all right, it's a four point buck. It's everything we're looking for. You know, not a giant, but a good deer, good representative mule deer, nice four point deer. That's a shooter. We're going to go, we're going to go try to be successful. So we drop down into the canyon. They're, they move to this little spring on the hillside. And there's this perfect hill like right in front of us. So we move in and we get up underneath the hill. And Danielle's, the one thing is, I was like self-filming, but also with her. And she was using the camera every once in a while. She didn't really, she doesn't really like the idea of having to film because she, you know, hasn't done it very much. And also it's like a lot of pressure, right? So it's like, that's my thing. If I want to film it, I'll film it. But she does a really good job of jumping in there and helping out. And so uh, she had the camera and I had the big lens on it and everything. And so we stalked in and got the camera set up. She got the deer in there and I just checked. And I'm like, all right, here we go. I laid down on the pack and the deer started to move off. And I was just waiting for the buck to turn broadside. Ranged him, he was like three, what was he? 370. Something like that, set my turret on my sight, got steady and just put the crosshair where I wanted, made sure I made a good shot, squeezed the trigger and boom, buck went down, just dropped in his tracks. And it was just awesome. It was New Year's morning, like that feeling of that new year. And then to be successful on the hunt, my wife was really excited. It was just really fun to get to share that excitement with her and, and share that hunt. You know, I, I got to be on 
her elk hunt when when she harvested an elk this year and it's just it's, it was really fun and she liked to be able be there and kind of return the favor uh, we had so much fun just hunting together glassing just having a good time and it was just a really good end to a trip but also a really good start to the new year in the hunting season first time i shot a, well, a mule deer on new year's day that's for sure and it just felt good it's like i'm we're starting the year off right we're successful we got a, a decent four point buck and we're gonna we've got a bunch of meat now in the freezer we're gonna well actually it's in the fridge i haven't finished processing yet but i'm actually gonna be doing a lot of jerky with it because that's the one thing i out of jerky i'm like all right this is gonna be our jerky buck we're gonna just do the entire thing in jerky because throughout the rest of the next year i love to be able to take what I harvested the past year into the field. So we do a lot of summer sausage, uh, do a lot of jerky generally, um, whole muscle meat and ground jerky, like sticks, pepper sticks, what different kinds of stuff like that. So it was just awesome to, to be kicking the new year off in the right direction, successful on a deer hunt that, you know, I hunted quite a bit, put in a lot of time. And then we found some success on New Year's Day. One thing I love about the new year is it is, I know it's just a calendar date, but it does feel like certain things turn over. It's like, it's that time of year where you really feel like, okay, this year coming up, I I personally, I look at the things that I want to do. I I really try to plan things out. I look at, okay, these are my goals and this is what I want to accomplish. And this is the way that I want to change. You know, there's some things in in hunting that I want to do. There's some things just in personal life and the way that I do life that I feel like can make me better. And for some reason, the new year feels like that fresh start, that that time to change old habits and start creating new ones. And you look at the statistics, everybody makes a new year's resolution. Very few people pull through with them. But I think that one of the things that I've noticed over the years, and, and one thing that I like to kind of think about when I think about this podcast and, and talking about hunting tactics, and I feel like I've been a very successful hunter over the years because a few reasons i do it a lot right and so by getting to do it so often you figure out the certain rhythm and the certain things that you do and and that leads to more success and more success and more success but i also like to look at other people that i think are very successful hunters guys that i feel like you know maybe people know maybe people don't just the guys that continually get it done continually get it done on good animals and limited time and hard units just really good hunters. And when I think about those guys that, you know, maybe myself included, that have a level of success when it comes to hunting that seems more than just luck, right? They've, they've got the edge. They've kind of figured it out and they're continually successful and they do it all the time. And I look at what they do and I think there's a lot of things that kind of bind them together, like a lot of similarities. So I thought beginning of the year, this would be a good time to really dissect those habits of those highly successful hunters. The things that I notice that people that, that continually find success, and I think a lot of these things are themes throughout the Live Wild podcast. There's a lot of stuff that keeps coming up time and time again, but I think there's a reason for that. It's because those things that keep coming up are the things that are very important when it comes to being a successful hunter, finding, you know, whether it's, Maybe you're just starting out and you just want to be successful for the first time. You want to fill your freezer with some meat. You want to go on your first elk hunt and find success on an elk hunt. Or you're a guy that's like, I elk hunt every year and I just want to 
be able to consistently find bigger and better bulls or, uh, you know, have get into more encounters, whatever it is. There's always ways that you can improve and be more successful in whatever your pursuit in hunting is, wherever you land on the spectrum. Guys that have been doing it forever and you, you want to continue doing it at a different level or guys that are just getting started and just want to find some success. I think if you affix yourself to a few of these habits and a few of these mindsets, overall, you're going to be a lot more successful in the long run. And so we're going to dive into these six habits. Number one, and this is perfect timing for the new year, is they're fit. They have a a good level of fitness for hiking and walking in the mountains. And there's a reason that the highly successful hunter, when it comes to Western big game hunting, has a level of fitness that lends itself to success. And there's a few reasons. One, the country that a lot of these animals are in are mountains. They're rugged, they're rough. And if you can continually hunt and maintain that level of fitness and that level of drive, then you can get into the places where the animals live and you can essentially use persistence as your secret weapon to encounter more game animals where they're at. Also allows you to get away from the crowds. It allows you to hunt other places and it allows you to not necessarily worry about how am I going to get this animal out in the pack out portion because it allows you to hunt to where the animals are, not worried about, I don't think I can carry this animal out. So they have a certain level of fitness that allows them to hunt hard, hunt day in, day out for the duration of their hunt and go to the places that maybe other people aren't willing to go. And that time and time again pays off in success on all kinds of game animals across the West and really around the world. The more fit you are, the more you're going to enjoy that hunting experience and the more you're going to be able to dive in, dig in, and use the tactics that really work. You know, I say, I start this podcast out every day, essentially, every time, every podcast talking about Mountain Tough and the program. And my thing is hunting and big game and animal behavior and animal movement and hunting tactics, right? But I do have a level of fitness that allows me to do those tactics. And when I talk about the tactics, you know, my thing is not how to get fit. It's like, I I mean, I hunt all the time. I'm in the mountains all the time. I'm hiking all the time. And that naturally gets me ready for what I do because it's what I do. I've been doing it my entire life. But for somebody that doesn't do that their entire life, it's like, well, how do you, how do you get fit? And I always refer them to Mountain Tough because in my opinion, it's the best program for getting fit for the mountains. And even myself, there's certain things that I want to improve when it comes to fitness. And I'm using Mountain Tough to acquire those things or to like maintain a certain level when I'm not out in the mountains all the time. And so I think that that's a really good way to do it. You know, it's maybe a a cop out for me being like, hey, I'm not going to tell you exactly what to do. But I mean, there are a few things that I stress and that I know they put into their programs as well. And it's essentially doing like you're going to do wearing those heavy packs, building that aerobic ability and building that endurance as well as mental toughness mindset, that all plays into fitness as well. And then just kind of committing to something wherever you're at, you can always be better, myself included. I think this is one of those things, it's like the beginning of the year and every year you're like, I'm gonna be way more in shape than I was last year. 
you know, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself a fitness nut, but I am a guy that really wants to be able to get after elk and sheep and deer and carry a heavy pack day in and day out and pack out elk and mule deer and whatever and not be bothered by it. And so whatever that takes to get that, that's what I'm into. And so I think that, you know, the Mountain Tough program, really good program. But I think that when you look at successful hunters, they have a certain level of fitness in the mountains. And that's very important. And there are, there are those people, right? That like, they're just, they're just tough. They don't even have the level of fitness that some people have, but they've got the mental capacity to just hike and go and do. And, and that's good as well. But I think wherever you're at, you could always be a little bit better. This is the time to start. The beginning of the year, it's, it's a, the season just ended. You're about as far away from the seat this next coming season as it gets. Now's the time to start, not right before your hunt because by building it as a lifestyle, and I've talked about this in the past and I've had some amazing guests on in the past that really dive into building healthy habits. But this is one that really prepares you for the hunt in a way that other things don't because it's the one that you take on the hunt with you that I think directly results in more success and just an overall better hunting experience. And so that is, is definitely number one and, and probably at the top of the list of the things that I've noticed from the guys that I think really get after it and, and are highly successful. Now, number two, I think a habit and a thing that people that are very successful when it comes to hunting, or they kind of do all the time, is they plan. And the planning is a huge factor because when we're talking about Western big game hunting, you know, if, if you're listening to this podcast from somewhere else, you're like, I want to go on a elk hunt. Why is everybody always talking about application season and all this other stuff? The days of, if you're from some other state, showing up and getting a tag and going on a hunt are practically over. I mean, that's, that's just the unfortunate truth of it. Whether it's podcasts like that, you know, I don't like whether it's podcasts and more information, there's just more information out there, right? Everybody has access to more information. There's mapping software on your phone. You can know where you're at all the time. Like the rules and regulations are easier to follow. There's plenty of resources out there. There's videos and other things that inspire people to do it. Whatever it is, it's just harder to get tags than it used to be 10 years ago. And that's the truth of it, but that's the world that we live in. The people that are successful a lot, always have a hunt to go on. Whether it's one hunt or multiple hunts a year, it doesn't really matter. Whether it's in their home state or out of state, they find a hunt. Now, I grew up in a state that is all a draw. There's no general tags. There's nothing. If you want a tag, you have to draw a tag. And for a lot of people that grew up in Nevada, even as a kid, it was, it was very difficult to get rifle tags. Still is. I mean, I, I've got friends that they're like, they rifle hunt and they might get to go on one elk hunt in their life in their home state and they might get a deer tag every 10 years, right? I was like, that's why I originally got into archery hunting was because I wanted tags more often and that was the way that I could do it. But I realized that that wasn't even really viable for me for where I live. So I started hunting places out of state where I could get tags every year and, and be hunting. So the reality of it, now is you have to really plan out hunts for this year, hunts for the future. And you, you kind of find these little secret ways, not secret ways, but just kind of overlooked ways to obtain tags so you can go on a hunt. You can't hunt without a tag 
in this application season, this hunt planning phase, the guys that I know that are very successful year after year, it's like they always get an elk. They always they get a deer. They, they do, like they go on hunts and they're successful, but they have hunts to go on. And that's part of it, right? 0% chance of success without a tag in your pocket. And half the game now is played this time of year and even planning for hunts in the future. And it's very hard to navigate all that stuff if you don't really understand the system. I've been doing this for years. I started applying in other states when I was, let's see, I, I, I started applying out of state essentially when I was like 12 years old with my dad. And then by the time I was like 16 years old, I started just applying in states that I knew nothing about, but just did a lot of research and and figured out like, oh, there's there's tags for this. I started applying in Utah, I think, when I was 16 years old. And when I started doing that, there was no information out there. It was very under the radar. It was like, you had to do a lot of research. You had to kind of figure out a lot of things on your own. You know, like it's a long ways away and I didn't really know much about it, but I would see Eastman's hunting journal articles about big elk in this state or Arizona and other states. And so I, I started applying in a lot of these other states and it was fairly like it was fairly expensive, but not as expensive as it is now. And so like I, I would save up my money. I would do an application. There's some states I would have to skip other years because I was like, I just couldn't afford it. But I started applying and some states didn't even have points then. I would just start applying and building points in some places and just doing the whole thing. And I had to put in so much time and research and it was all paper. Like you'd get sent the regulations and then you'd have to figure it out. And I'd read articles and maybe try to figure out a mountain range where they're hunting. Cause I just had no clue. Like where, where's a good area. And I would look at the odds of drawing. So there'd be places I, I, I would actually base a lot of mine on like, where's hard to draw because that probably means a lot of people want the tag and that a tag that they know about and I don't, and that's probably a good place to apply. I mean, that's what I would do. I say all that to say, now a lot of that information is, is available in one place and it makes it a lot easier to do the research. But the guys that are very successful know how to play this game. They know how to find tags. They know it's like, okay, here's an over-the-counter opportunity. Maybe the tags go on sale at this time. They're waiting online ahead of time they're driving to that state to pick up tags they're doing what it takes to obtain a tag and they've done the research to know okay this is how the tag game is played and they've put in the time still to this day i read every article that comes out on the go hunt website i read every article in magazines about other states and forecasts and all this other stuff i'm continually constantly doing research on other states and I've done it my entire life and it's panned out. I really understand how to play the game. I know where to apply, you know, the tags that I'm looking for, places I, I look for those places, me personally, I look for places that aren't trending yet. You know, I'm looking for those hunts that's like, well, I can still get a tag here and nobody's really talking about it. And it might be a tough hunt, but I'd rather have a tough hunt and a tag in my pocket. But I do that through the planning phase. And I think this coming month, I, I am going to dive into some of this planning stuff and, and really help you. I don't like to tell people like, here's where you should apply, but I do like to give people a, an idea of how to plan. And I, I just see it time and time again, the guys that I know that 
are continually, you know, having good opportunities have planned for it. And they've done it, you know, whether it's over the counter, I'm not talking it's all draw stuff. I'm talking over the counter units where they found, okay, here's an undersubscribed hunt. And how do you find that? What's the success of draws? Oh, maybe they've put in for a couple of years and they knew that they could pretty much guarantee a tag. They, they plan and they plan to get tags in their hand, whether it's in the same place multiple years in a row or just having a tag and being able to hunt it. They've planned for that tag and they're really good at that game. You know, obviously I talk about it in nearly every podcast, but the Go Hunt Insiders, what I use for this planning phase, and it's not really a secret. I talk about it. It's like they're a sponsor of this podcast because I really love what they've got. But it does really help in that planning phase. And it's a very important aspect to Western big game hunting that a lot of people kind of overlook or think about is like, oh, it's one of those things that you do. Where am I going to get a tag? And it's kind of a last minute, like, oh, let's try this. The more you plan, the more you're able to reliably and successfully pull tags and find places to hunt. And that's not just, you know, there's like this year, I struck out on a tag that I generally get all the time because I was on an, I just didn't have the time to do what it took to get the tag. But there are other opportunities. There's leftover tags. There's return tags. There's just so many little nuanced things that the guys that understand the systems in a lot of different places look out for the things that they need to and they're able to obtain tags. And that's just, that's a good thing to think about. Now's the time you need to look at, and you're like, I don't know anything about this. This is all very foreign. Now's the time you need to start researching, reading those articles, looking at those things, like listening to podcasts about planning and, and hunt planning and, and you know, getting the apps and and looking at Insider and scrolling through. I spend so much time on that thing. It's it's probably, it's ridiculous. Like, you know how your phone tells you what you use? I don't scroll social media that often. Like I go on there and I share a lot of my stuff, but I don't spend a lot of time on it, to be honest. Um, I don't spend a lot of time watching TV or other things. I do spend a lot of time looking over draw odds, looking over statistics, reading about changes in, in different states, like the draw process in every state. You should really read the draw process for every state that you're thinking about applying and, okay, what kind of tags and opportunities are available. That's my enjoyable reading. Like that's what I do a lot. And then the next thing is going to be what I'll call number three, a habit of successful hunters. They pour over maps. Looking at maps, it's like, I'm like this time of year, I'm thinking about two things. I'm thinking about getting a tag and I'm also thinking about where I might be able to hunt. This last hunt that I went on, I, I looked at the maps. I mean, I've got units that I've never been in damn near memorized. I mean, there's just places that I've thought about hunting or researched or or maybe haven't drawn a tag yet, but look at it and, and I've got the map so ingrained in my brain that I could probably, you know, talk shop with guys that have been there and hunted it their whole life. And I'm like, this get this dude knows our area. How how many times have you hunted? I'd be like, never but I've just looked at the map so much. That's kind of like my, that's my guilty pleasure. That's my scrolling. That's my like bedtime, whatever. I pull out my maps and I, I cruise around in 3D mode. I just like, I'm obsessed with reading maps. And I know a lot of people that I, I really think of as just very successful guys, just really understand how to read a map, know what to look for, look for, similar things that I look for and they habitually pour over maps. 
You're like, I don't really know anything about maps. Dude, all, it, all you can just start by flying, find an area, find a unit, fly around in it on, you know, a 3D version of the map. Look at changing layers. Like, okay, what are some of the layers? Fire layers. Some of the layers like land access, you know, land ownership, like forest service, private, all that stuff. Toggle those things on and off. Find things that allow you to hunt a certain area, right? So I look for certain types of habitat. I, I switch through different layers of like the fire and the other thing. I go, ooh, this is an area. I do this all the time. I'll actually, this is like a little secret of mine. It's like, maybe I'm like thinking about hunting elk in a state that I haven't hunted in. I go, huh, where, where's like a, okay, what's a, like a two, three-year-old burn? And I flip on those. I go, okay, here's one in this area. And now I start looking at that area and I go, this is an interesting unit. Look at the topography in here. Oh, this is pretty cool. And I'll start, oh, there's a lot of access in here, lots of public land. Okay, this is this looks good. Oh, now let's research getting a tag. Oh, this is a draw area. This might take uh, 100 years to draw. Not an option for me. Or, oh, shit, this is actually a general area and I can, there's leftover tags in here. What? Maybe I'll check this out. This is This looks good. Same thing with whatever. Oh, where's some good deer winter range in a late season hunt. Maybe I, I want to go hunt late season mule deer. And, and you can just start to use the maps to kind of translate back to planning the hunt and then using the maps to also plan your hunt while you're on your hunt or, or when you've got a tag and you're going to go on hunt. Understanding how to read those maps and not just 3D maps, but understanding topography, what kind of topographical features certain animals like. Really then identifying those kind of places on a map. And the best way to do it is to continually look at them. It's just like anything. The more you look at something, the more you do it, the more familiar it gets. If you're going on a Western big game hunt and you're like, right before you go, you're like, I'm going to start looking at the maps and you just don't really understand what you're looking at. It all looks the same to most people. It's like, it's a map. It, what is it telling me? To me, when I look at a map, it's a story of like, here's where the animals are. And I've found a lot of success. A lot of the hunts that I go on, a lot of the people that I know that are very successful, they can look at a map and they can go, this is where the animals are going to be. And you go, how do you get to that point? And it's by experience in the field, for sure. But also, those people spend a lot of time looking over maps. Like, I've got a buddy that just does the same thing all the time. And he's like actually finding like elk on google earth he's like dude look at this saddle there's elk here you know he's just like you're just looking at the maps because you're, you're learning what the landscape looks like in different places whether you're hunting there or not it's just a it's a skill that you can acquire by just looking at different things you know pull up a attack like one thing that i do a lot is i'll pull up areas that maybe i'll never hunt maybe it's an area that's like I, I accidentally burned my points in arizona for elk i had a lot of points and i accidentally applied for a cow tag many years ago, like scrolled, I must have scrolled the mouse and selected the wrong unit. And I played me and a buddy and we lost all our points. He didn't have that many. We were playing as a party, but I thought I had enough points to kind of guarantee us both like a really decent archery tag. And it's nice to be able to go on a hunt with someone. And, and you know, this is, I was like a lot younger and it's like, all right, we can split gas. We can, you know, share resources. Like there'll be two of us down there one guy calling, one guy, like it's just the perfect scenario. And I somehow, it was like a new system. It was right before, it was before they had the point guard thing. So 
I think I clicked on the box, selected my hunt, and then I used the mouse to scroll down the page and it must have scrolled in the box is my only assumption. And I somehow drew like a random cow tag in a random unit. It was just a bummer. Lost all my points, lost his points, had to pay the tag fee. It was just, it sucked. I say that, I don't know, I got on this tangent, but a lot of times what I'll do is like, there's great elk hunts in Arizona and I look at those top units that I probably will never draw now. And I'll pour over maps in, in those areas. I'm like, this is an area that because of limited tags or whatever has giant bull elk. What's that topography look like in there? What's it look like in these units where it has, you know, really like world-class type animals, mule deer, elk, whatever. You know, there's a lot of genetics and feed and other things that go into some of these units, but there's also, what's this topography look like? And then I'll pour through those maps, uh, the Henry Mountains in Utah. I've looked at the, the maps in those areas a lot like an area that has some of the biggest mule deer in the world. What does it look like in there? And it's surprising. You're like, huh, okay, it looks like a lot of other places. But I do that because it just kind of helps you build out an idea of like, this is where these deer live. You know, whatever it is, they, you know, who knows? It's like uh, genetics and limited hunting pressure and all those things are huge factors. Habitat's a really big factor though. When you think about animals and especially when it comes to like really big trophy animals, they need genetics and they need habitat. And if they don't have that right habitat, they just will never reach their potential because they need that feed source. They need a place to live. They need to be safe. So they, they've got to be managed in a way where they're getting age class. They've got good genetics and they've got the habitat that gives them everything that they need. Well, scroll around, look at the maps of some of those areas where they have everything that they need. And what's it look like? And then find places in your area that looks something similar to that because it's a proven place that holds deer, elk, or whatever. Now, in some limited entry areas, animals do weird things. Like if there's no pressure of any kind, they're in places you're like, I would, you never see a deer in a general unit in that kind of country because it's just too easy. It's too easy and they, they die too fast. But in looking at the map, you can kind of get a story of like, this is the landscape. What am I looking at? How do I read it? And then how can I extrapolate what I've learned there somewhere else. And that's my two cents on reading maps, but I think it's a really good thing. It's a good habit to do. It's like, hey, if you're going on a hunt in six months, eight months, whatever, 10 months, we'll start looking at maps now. Look at your area, really understand that area and start marking it up and look for those glassing advantages and, and just pour over those maps. Number four, habit of highly successful hunters. They're meticulous with their shooting. This is one thing that, I mean, I have been very meticulous with my shooting over the years. When I compare myself to other people that I know, I think that I'm the least meticulous with my shooting in a, in a strange way. And I'm very meticulous with my shooting. Like it's a very, I would say, common trait in successful hunters. Because if you get that one opportunity, I stress this a lot. If you get that one opportunity, you need to make good on that one opportunity. Whatever you're hunting with, whether it's a gun, a bow, a muzzle loader as a professional hunting guide, I think the one thing that people show up lacking is familiarity with whatever they're hunting and the ability to use it to the best of their advantage, right? Like their shooting form is bad. They're, they get into a, then you put that in a high pressure situation when it's like, there's a big elk standing in front of you, or you got to shoot quick, or you've got to do whatever. And they're just unfamiliar with whatever they're carrying around. They're unfamiliar with how it acts at different ranges. They're unfamiliar with, you know, making a fast shot. They're unfamiliar with getting steady super quick on when there's nothing really good 
to shoot off of. They're, it doesn't really matter what it is. They're just unfamiliar with it. And because of that, the opportunity that they're given might suffer. A lot of my success, I've got the fitness, I've made the plan, I'm in the right spot. You do a stock, let's say it's a bow hunt. You've put in so much time, money, resource, energy to get into bow range of whatever you're going at. And when that arrow comes off that bow, you want it to hit its mark. You want that hunt to be over because of a dead animal 20 yards away. Like you just want it to work out. And I think there's a lot that you can do in the off season that help with that. And that's just being meticulous with your equipment and your shooting. And the one thing I've noticed, like I am very meticulous with my stuff and I, and I like to have time put into everything. But with what I do too, I also get to test a lot of new stuff and I might not have that much time to shoot this gun or that gun or this bow or that bow. And so I put in as much time as I can but I can't really dive into like the, the crazy little details of it sometimes. And, and I make up for it in other ways. Like I'm really good at sneaking so I can get a little bit closer or, you know, I'm really good at finding the animals so I have more opportunity. But I will say that I am very meticulous with my shooting in, in the off season. It's something that I do nearly every day uh, with my bow especially. And also, you know, with uh, whether I'm rifle hunting, muzzleloader hunting, like, I want to get into different forms of muzzleloader hunting. And it's like, all right, I, I got to find the time to, to get to a range and really kind of dive in and like, what's, what's a good load for this? Uh, what's, what are the problems that I'm encountering in the field as I'm getting into, you know, more traditional muzzleloader hunting recently. It's like, how do I prevent these misfires? Like just busting caps and nothing going off. Like, what do I do to make sure that that one shot that we get is goes off right and is exactly where we're aiming and the only way to know that is to spend time doing it outside of the hunt. And that's really important. And the guys that I know that are very successful, especially when it comes to bow hunting, man, just meticulous with their shooting and, and really analyzing their gear and, and getting everything dialed. Like their broadheads, their bow, their bowstring, like everything is so dialed. And that's the way that I like to go into the field as well. Like I am very meticulous about it. I always have been. And I noticed that that's a similar trait in other people that I, I find are very successful. Number five, habit of a highly successful hunter, they find time. And this is a hard one, right? This is the like, this is the probably the, the, the commodity that's hard. You could have the best gear. You could have, be in shape. You can do whatever, but you need time on your hunt. And I've kind of made my living doing a lot of different hunts and being successful in a short amount of time. I'm like, on my own hunts, it seems strange, but like I'm the guy that hunts nearly every day of the year. But they're always like a couple days here, a couple days, like moving around a lot. It's like guiding here for five days. And then I've got like the weekend warrior thing when it's like tag for myself. I've got one and a half days to hunt. And then I go find success. But I think that one thing that I know a lot of guys that are, are very successful and it's like they've got their tag and they've got an adequate amount of time to do the tag justice whether it's a shorter amount of time or a longer amount of time, they found the time. So what I mean by they find the time is like, you've got an elk tag. This, and they go, this is my hunt. I've got an elk tag. I'm invested in this elk hunt. Now I'm going to give myself full seven days to do it. And so whatever it takes, like put in some overtime, do some extra work, 
like whatever it is to get more time off to, to be able to dedicate to that hunt. It's like, this is my hunt. This is the hunt that I'm going on. Same thing with the family. It's like, all right, for me personally, when I'm not hunting, I'm putting in that extra time of like quality time with my family because I am away a lot. And so when I am away, it's like, okay, I've put in that quality time with my family and my, I've invested in that. So when I'm gone, I, I kind of like, I've stacked up a little bit of time where I, I can spend a little bit more time on this hunt and it's okay. Everybody's okay with it. Because that, that's the hard thing, right? You got to balance so many stuff, but the guys that are very successful, they find the time. And so sometimes that just means putting in the extra work outside of the hunting season to allow yourself to have the time. It doesn't always have to be, two weeks, right? But there are some hunts where it's like, I mean, there, I've had hunts where I have to factor in 10 days, 12 days, 14 days, whatever. And, you know, there's a lot of sacrifices that I had, I've had to make outside of that hunt to make that possible. For this, it's like, this is a very important hunt to me. This is something that is going to take time. I'm like, I'm in an area that I don't know. It's a tag that's very difficult. It's one that I really wanted to be successful on. And... It's just going to take time. Everyone that I've talked to says it's like they're there, but you just got to like, you got to be patient. It's like you look at the amount of time put in on our harvest success in the past. It goes, oh, yeah, it's like a limited entry sheep tag. And guys are, they're putting in a lot of time and still being unsuccessful. So you go, okay, this is a hunt where I just, I have to create the time for this hunt. And to do that, it's like, it can be difficult. Because you got to balance all the other things. You got to balance family. You got to balance work. You got to create the time to make the time. And the guys that I know that are just, I don't know, hardcore, diehard hunters, they find a way to make the time and, and they do a good job with it. And it's like when you talk to their family, it's, it's their family's not like, oh yeah, he's always hunting and he's just a POS. It's like, no, we really, it's, it's awesome that he gets to go and, and do this because he, he puts in the time the other times a year. And I think that's one of the hardest things to think about, right? Is like, you don't really think about that when it comes to successful hunting is like how people manage their time outside of the hunting season to gain time for the things that they need to do. Whether it be, you know, maybe you, you, you've got X amount of time that you can take off, but you need to do a little bit of scouting here and they manage their time. Like, oh, I've got X amount of weekends off or here I've taken these long weekends these holiday weekends and, and we get to go out and scout as a family or do whatever, we're going to scout that. And then that way during the season, maybe I don't have as much time as I'd like, but I've got a little chunk of time here, but I've put in the time outside of that when I can. So it's, it's a balance and a management, but it's, a, it's something to think about and it's a good habit to get into of like, all right, I'm balancing that time for the time that I need when it's hunting season. Number six, our last habit of the highly successful hunter, they hunt hard. You know, my motto is live wild, hunt hard. It's like, that's the recipe for success, hunting hard. When you've got X amount of days to hunt, you know, I talked about finding the time, but sometimes finding the time might mean a couple of days, right? It's like, that's the time that I found and I, I can't put in anymore. I've got a weekend here between whatever for me, between guiding or between other work. And on those days that I can hunt, I want to hunt hard. I want to glass when it's time to glass. I want to hike into those spots where I think that I'll have the most success. I want to 
give it the most and kind of like leave it all on the mountain. Not in a dumb way, not in a way that you like have to hit the emergency button on your in reach, but in a way where it's like you're putting in the effort required to be successful. And I, you can fall, easily fall in, like I've hunted with a lot of people over the years and I've been in, we'll call it a hunting camp where not everybody hunts hard. And, and to be honest, right? We hunt for a lot of different reasons. And there are some hunts where it's like, it's not a hard hunt or we're here to enjoy it with certain family members or we're here to like, when I'm hunting with my kids, the way that I hunt is not the same way that I hunt when I am alone. And that's what I mean. But the guys that I know that are like, we're, we're here, we're out for blood. We're here to fill a tag on a good elk and with a bow and a general unit and they hunt their ass off, right? It's like, oftentimes they're hunting alone because very few times it's it you can find somebody that kind of hunts to that same go that you that a lot of people want to do there's a lot of guys that are very successful and most of them you probably see they probably hunt by themselves like you think about your hunting friends or a group of hunters and there's one guy that kind of just goes off and does his own thing and he's the guy that's coming back with something is because he could probably hunt harder by himself than with someone else now if you can match up with somebody that also wants to hunt hard I mean, you've got to win in combos. Like I love hunting with my brothers. My, I love hunting with my dad because they, when we're out there, we'll hunt hard. And we also have a good time with it, right? It's not, it's not all go, 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 like no fun. Like we crack jokes, we have a good time, but we're, we're glassing, we're looking, we're putting in time behind the glass. Like sometimes it's not always how far you hike, but sometimes it is. And so just doing what it takes for that particular hunt, just at the end of the day, you're pretty tired. And when people hunt with me, they're like, wow, we hunted our asses off. I'm like, yeah, we're here to hunt. And to be honest, the guys that I know that are very successful, they hunt hard. And I think that the, the listeners of this podcast understand what that is. Like, this is not, uh, I think it's like a good podcast for understanding hunting tactics and getting into hunting, but it's also a good podcast for guys that really just are obsessed with hunting. And like, this is what I'm here to do. Uh, we're here to be successful. And, and, for me, that's like part of the fun of it as well is just getting after it and really feeling like, yeah, I did I did everything that I needed to do today to be successful. And sometimes it doesn't work out. But when you give it everything that you did and you knew how to do, at the end of the day, you're like, well, I'm satisfied with the effort that I put in. Everything else, well, we'll chalk that up to uh, whatever. But I did what I could do to benefit myself for this particular hunt. And I think if you look at those six habits, being fit, planning, pouring over maps, being meticulous with shooting, finding the time and hunting hard, if you just kind of go into the year with that mindset of like, these are the things that I'm gonna focus on. These are the kind of habits that I can take a little bit of time here and devote to this. I can devote a little bit to fitness. I can, I can shoot more. I can, wherever maybe something lacks, then you can build that and work on other things as well. But I think by looking at those habits, the guys that I know that are highly successful, that fill their tags, that are, you know, really good hunters, they subscribe to these six things. And it's just a very common theme throughout the people that I know and, and the way that I kind of approach the hunt. And sometimes... It's just like those little things that you can do throughout the year, this time of year, thinking about it now is the best time because when you're on a hunt, let's say you're 
going on your first elk hunt. You're like, we're going out West for the first time. We're, we've got elk tags in our pocket and it's a big time investment. It's a big money investment. It's a hard thing to do and you want to give it your best. And just by doing a few of these things in the off season is gonna dramatically increase your opportunity for success during the hunting season. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. I'm excited about this year. I'm excited about some of the hunts coming up. You know, as always, feel free to reach out to me. Tell me what the things that you guys want to hear about in this upcoming year, the things that you want to learn, the types of hunts that you're looking forward to, because that helps me shape this podcast to be very useful for everyone listening. That's one of the things that I love to do is those call-in Q&As. And I'm, I'm thinking about trying some new things this year as far as maybe we'll do like, you ask a question and maybe add like a, you know, do kind of like a quick answer or like a 15 minute answer on a specific topic. But I really want a lot of this podcast to be kind of user generated in some way of like, what do you guys want to hear? You can always reach out to me on social media at Remy Warren on Instagram. Uh, feel free to reach out, send me, you know, the things that you guys are are looking forward to this season, the things that you're planning for, the things that you guys want to see or hear talked about because that helps me build the roadmap for this entire year of like, this is where the podcast is going. You know, I, I sit here and one of the things that I, I say a lot, but it really does mean a lot to me, the, the interaction that we get with this podcast and the ways that you guys have benefited from it. So that keeps me doing it. That keeps me excited about talking about the topics that you guys want to hear about. So as always, you can reach out to me about that kind of stuff. Also talking about hunt planning, and, and that was one of the topics that I think got brought up a lot was the hunt planning. You know, a great sponsor of this podcast, Go Hunt, their insider membership allows you to really like break down units, states. They've got, I've been beta testing a, it's not out yet, but I've been beta testing some new stuff that they're going to release that's really awesome. So I'm really excited about some of that stuff coming up for this application season, this hunt planning season. But it's a really good program for, essentially this planning phase and they've got great articles on there. They've got a lot of benefits for their members. So I think that it's very useful. You can always use code live wild. What it does is give you money back in the gear store. So you essentially get the membership plus you get cash in the gear store and you can always use that live wild code for a discount in the gear shop as well. Also, you know, one of the things that I talk about as well that I've done is the outdoor class. It's a really good resource this time of year dive through some of those. You can use code LiveWild on that as well for a discount. That's something that we worked out for you guys. I've got my own courses on there on mule deer hunting, I'm planning another one here pretty soon. But it's just something to think about now. It's like pour over maps, plan for the hunt. Part of planning for a hunt could be listening to old podcasts and thinking, you can go back in the Live Wild podcast library and be like, I got an elk hunt coming out. Let's start listening to some of these elk hunting podcasts. Just kind of building that, that knowledge base, planning that way. That, that's a huge way in that planning phase of successful guys. That's one thing that I like to do a lot is just kind of build that knowledge base more, that practice, any kind of time you can practice anything. It's like you got an elk hunt coming up in September, start calling, practice calling now. If you've never done it, now's a good time to jump on there and, and use outdoor. They've got Corey Jacobson does some awesome, phenomenal calling stuff on there. I think he, I like... If you're going to listen to somebody about elk calling, he's the guy to listen to. I mean, 
he's got some great stuff. So there's some incredible courses on there from some great teachers, not just myself. There's some, you're, you have access to everything. Now's a good time to get into it. It gives you time to like dive into it, to think about it, to, to then even do maybe more research once you've learned something else. I think about like my hunting journey and a lot of it, a lot of the things that I got into, uh, I, I was, I still am really big into waterfowl hunting. And I, I don't really talk about it often, but I didn't know anyone that waterfowl hunted. And I, I got magazines and books and like taught myself how to do archery hunting. Same thing. Like I literally had to teach myself how to bow hunt, but based off of like the few articles that I could get and a couple of books out there and just really like would take that knowledge in the off season and then practice and do all the things and then go out in the field and learn a lot more things would click a lot faster when I would do that. And that was just part of my planning phase. And because of it, I, I think that I gained a lot of success in a shorter amount of time, just using other people's knowledge and then, you know, translating that to the things that I learned while in the field myself. And all that stuff is super, super valuable. So until next week, guys, I'm just going to say happy new year. Let's get out there. Let's start thinking about this upcoming season and... Looking forward to a successful 2024.